You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! Again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Clone War Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history of the Emmy Award-winning animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars by discussing each and every episode and episode art. we got a great show for you this week where we'll be discussing the first episode of The Lost Missions. That's right, season six, the season released on Netflix. And if you've been listening to the show for the entire run, you'll know that when we started The Clone War Strikes Back, these episodes hadn't even aired yet. They hadn't even aired yet. That's how close to the end we are. We're at, we're at we're really, it's the beginning of the end, for real this time. I know I've said that a couple times, but it really, every 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 episode kind of feels that way. Although, with the Lost Missions, it won't, you know, we'll kind of be in the same zone for a little while, and then it'll feel like the beginning of the end again when we get to the legacy content. This is, that's the great thing I think about Clone Wars though, is that it, it, for as many times as it's ended, it never has truly ended. And that's, and that's pretty cool. Uh, but introductions are in order if you're new to the show. My name is Dominic and joining me as he always does is my good friend and co-host, the award winning Kieran Duggan. Good evening or good night, I should say, whilst this. It's good morning, I think, for you. Airing. Actually, yes, <laughs> it is. It's actually gone past the time. Of night. When we first started actually discussing and, and just talking with each other, it was probably more night time, but we've actually gone into the morning. Yeah. As we're hitting now about one thirty AM here for me. <laughs> and Dominic is hitting it's about late evening time. Yeah. It's about eight thirty. It's eight thirty. So it's it's close to night. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. It's, it's, it's that, that weird grey area. It's no, not too early, not too late. Perfect time. Exactly. Time exactly. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we're getting as confused here as, as many of the characters in this art we're about to discuss. Oh, yeah. Um, with, with their views on this so-called conspiracy, I mean. A conspiracy? As Palpatine would say, it's a separatist plot before the war starts. <laughs> that sounds very unlikely. Yeah, mm, very unlikely. Pops. How unlikely. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, looking forward to this one. I'm sure you are, Dominic. Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's uh it's one of those times when the show really uh went above and beyond uh, just being a weekly animated action adventure series and went into dealing with bigger pieces of the mythology. You know, I think of times like the uh like the the Mortis arc, the Yoda arc obviously, um would throw in uh the young Jedi, that, that arc as well. I think they, they all kind of embraced the fact that they could really expand the mythology of Star Wars and expand on things we saw in the films and, and give a little bit more clarity to how they work. And, uh, again, show us some really interesting stuff with the, uh, well, with the, the Chancellor and, and the Republic and, and the Kaminoans. And we finally get a sense of, 
what side they're on and what side who's on what who's on first what's on second and I don't know's on third. Uh, but we'll we'll get into all that here. We're going to talk about the Order sixty six arc. I'm doing the episode descriptions for this week because we're 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 changing it up a little bit. You know, we're six seasons in. It's like it's like the Clone Wars. You know, for six for five seasons it was on Cartoon Network, and then for the sixth season it was on Netflix. And so for for five seasons worth of episodes, Kieran was doing the episode descriptions, and for well for this week probably only this week. <laughs> I'm going to do them. So we've got The Unknown, where clone trooper Tup succumbs to a mysterious mental illness that results in the shocking death of a Jedi Master. Unable to account for his murderous actions, Tup is sedated and sent back to Kamino for examination. Conspiracy. In the sterile lab- laboratories of Kamino, the ailing clone trooper Tup and his friend Fives are quarantined for examination following Tup's shocking murder. Of a Jedi Master, with the help of medical droid AZ three, five is Fives is determined to get to the bottom of Tup's condition and uncovers a secret deep within the Republic cloning program. Fugitive Five breaks pro- Fives breaks protocol and defies order uh, and and defies orders to dig up answers and discovers there is an organic construct unknown of unknown purpose hidden in the brains of all clone troopers. And finally, Orders, where Fives continues to push for answers and secures an audience with Supreme Chancellor Palpatine. But the situation quickly quickly collapses and when Fives is accused of attacking the Chancellor, and he must flee into the Coruscant cityscape while pursued by his fellow clone troopers. Over to you, Karen. (laughs) Over to me, indeed. So, we always start off this way, Dominic. I'm going to throw the question out to you. What were your initial impressions of the arc? Obviously quite a new way of of actually digesting these episodes because of the fact they aired on Netflix and they were all out at once. So Uh you can actually appreciate watching episodes together for a change. Yeah. Um, But have they changed? Have have your thoughts changed since they first aired? Um, You know, I, I wouldn't say they've changed. You know, I think they've stayed consistent in that. I really appreciate these episodes as not only a good story i I really think they're they're a very good story and they they explore the clones and the clones have been a a significant you know it's the clone wars they're an important part of the story and to sort of explore how they were able to go from the characters we saw in the tv series to you know command the code the time it's come execute order six day of six it will be done, my lord. You know, there's that kind of like, how did they switch just from one to the other? And this episode, we finally get to explore that and begin to understand a little bit more, you know, almost from a scientific standpoint. You know, we really get into the the science of Order 66 rather than, you know, a lot of times in Star Wars, we get into sort of the morality of this and the and, you know, is this a good decision or a bad decision in, in, in moral terms? But in this episode, we really went science heavy and, and explored, you know, exactly how Order 66 works. And I, I think that, you know, that's not how I want Star Wars to be all the time. But I think once in a while, that's actually pretty cool. And, and the funny thing about these episodes, these were actually the episodes I watched last. These were the last full episodes of The Clone Wars that I ever watched. And it wasn't for – it was – it wasn't because, you know, I was particularly like this was the arc I was looking forward to or, or anything quite like that. Um, it was 
you know, I, I got, I was lucky and I was able to go to a screening of the Yoda arc the night before, uh, the episodes were made available on Netflix. And so I watched the Yoda arc and that was supposed to be the grand finale. And so I, since I watched that first, I thought, well, why don't I watch these in kind of reverse order? You know, we'll, we'll start with the Yoda arc, then we'll do the Jar Jar, then we'll do the Clovis, Anakin, Padme, banking, conspiracy, uh, uh, shindig, and then we'll close out with the clone arc. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the Clovis arc and I love the Jar Jar arc. I, I, I do love the Jar Jar arc, uh, um, but I, I kind of felt like I wanted uh, an, an epic Star Wars story uh, on the scale of, on the scale of, you know, the Yoda arc of great importance to the saga to be sort of my last memory of the Clone Wars. And this truly, I think, fit that bill and, and lived up to the potential. And, you know, where the Yoda arc ends kind of hopefully, uh, this arc ends on a real downer. <laughs> it's a sad ending for Clone Trooper Fives, uh, or uh, Arc Trooper Fives, I guess I should say. It was a character we've followed since season one. And, and, to for him for his final episode or his death episode to take place in these lost missions was kind of kind of poetic because he was one of those first new characters that we were introduced to that really clicked with fans and so i i think that uh you know there's there's uh there's a nice there's a kind of a, a a nice the circle is now complete feeling to that if you know what i mean absolutely and it's quite an interesting way that you did watch those episodes, Dominic. Do, do you think you would have got a different perspective, perhaps, on this arc if you hadn't watched it last? I don't. I don't. I don't think I, I really would have. I think you know, watching it last was more just kind of a a decision made out of the, the fact that I, I you know, I did, I wanted to have a, a sort of an epic finale, and as good as those other arcs are, and as important I think as the the Clovis arc is, I think they both are kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're secondary stories. They're not crucial to the, the Star Wars uh, mythos. They're not big installments, whereas I feel the Yoda arc and this arc were. And I, I don't think I really have a, have a different impression. The only, I think, you know, I can look at them sort of objectively, you know, if I had watched it in the correct order, I think, you know, the, the way the Yoda arc ends is, is the sort of a, a very nice ending for the series and I think uh, – whereas I think this ending is a little bit more tragic and it kind of reminds us of, you know, the fact that the Clone Wars is set in this tragic era where the good guys lose. Yeah, absolutely. And it is – in terms of this arc, for my own initial impressions, I thought it was a fantastic arc, extremely satisfied with the content that was released for this particular storyline, um, Order 66, as you said, Dominic, one of the more compelling topics which hasn't been so directly considered by anything outside of the films, really. Mm -hmm. I think this is the reader, the first part, component and, uh, and part of Star Wars, uh, I guess, material outside of the films that's ever really focused on it. So... No novels really considered it openly, and and to, to actually hone in on it was extremely intriguing and fascinating. It really raised the stakes for the importance of this arc because 
it has it obviously will have such a grand impact and and yeah I'd, I'd wonder as well if we hadn't seen the films and we were watching this particular arc how shocking a lot of these revelations would be um what always fascinates me with the clone wars is the way that as the audience we're able to empathize with many of these clone characters mm-hmm. particularly fives in this arc and the ordeal that he suffers and goes through, which eventually culminates in him being executed by his own troopers um, and being perceived as some sort of crazed lunatic um, because of these conspiracy theories, which he's detailing to people. Mm -hmm. And yet by the end of this arc, we feel so much sympathy for him. We're rooting for fives at the end of this. We're not rooting for the clones. We're not rooting really well, we, 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 for Anakin or Rex, I mean, we want them to listen, but we're really rooting for fives here. He's the main character of this story arc, and and we really are just absolutely hooked into it of you know what's happened to him and where where his storyline has ended. Now, a lot of people were perhaps disappointed that this didn't this this story arc wasn't was substituted for say. Rex. I mean, mm-hmm. Rex was the fulcrum for the clones. He's yeah. the character that a lot of fans were invested in. Um, before I actually start on the content of these particular episodes, last your opinion, Dominic. Are you disappointed that Rex wasn't concentrated on more in his story arc, or the story arc didn't revolve around Rex and Order sixty six? Uh, yes and no. I think uh, Rex's story at you know when the when the episodes aired. I felt that perhaps it would have made more sense for these episodes to feature Rex, uh, that Rex would be the one to find out about the conspiracy, that Rex would be the one to confront Palpatine, and that that would be sort of a fitting, tragic end for Rex's character. And perhaps, hindsight being twenty twenty, had they known these episodes would be among the final ones produced, perhaps they would have put Rex in there. But knowing what we know now and that Rex somehow makes it through Order 66 without killing all the Jedi and that he is still a good guy by about five years before A New Hope, then I'm kind of glad that they didn't. And I think it is good that they didn't because I feel like Rex was always tied with Ahsoka. And I think for his story to have ended without her having some sort of part to play in it would have felt... Uh, not it would have felt a bit wrong yeah it would have felt wrong it it would have wouldn't have felt complete and so i think if we do wind up seeing the final fate of of rex in rebels i think it will be tied in some way to ahsoka because we know of the the bond that those characters had and i think you know it almost would have been interesting to see rex and ahsoka sort of have the the conversation that anakin and fives have where where Rex is just pleading to her to understand and you know the way that Fives was pleading to Anakin you know but that's purely you know speculative fan fictiony type stuff because we know that's not how it played out and I'm kind of glad it didn't play out that way I'm glad that we're going to get to see that Rex uh, was able to maintain being a hero through Order 66 and through the dark times and could have a part to play in the formation of the rebel alliance 
and I, I think that in the end is, is much more fitting of his character than this ending. And, you know, we've always, one thing we always talked about with Rex is that he had a lot of different experiences with clones, with what he, from most clones, you know, everything from going back to the hidden enemy with Slick, you know, the clone who was, who turned against the Republic to the deserter with Cut Laquane, um, to, to the, the horrible, the tragedy of what went down with General Krell to, well, this, to seeing his, one of his closest confidants, one of his, you know, best friends, his brother, be driven to the point of insanity by this madness. You have to think that at some point Rex began to think something else is going on here. And if you look in Rebels, if you look in the stills we've seen from the season two trailer, it looks like Rex and, and Wolf and Gregor had their uh, inhibitor chips removed. So you can bet that Rex figured something out, uh, out uh, from fives. And I wouldn't, you know, I almost would wonder if perhaps Rex wound up deserting the Jedi, uh, deserting the Grand Army of the Republic. You know, that, that seems like that was perhaps where his story was going, uh, that he would have to desert in order to avoid Order 66 because he knows he's been through too much for that to be the way he goes down. You know, he, he knows that the clones, he knows from his, uh, his time with Cut Laquane that the clones can be can cannon fodder. He knows from what Slick told him, uh, that the Republic does not have the clones best in interests in mind. And he knows from General Krell that he can't always trust his superiors. And I think this final thing, learning about this inhibitor chip, may have been finally what drove him over the edge and drove him out of the Grand Army of the Republic and why he wasn't marching on the Jedi Temple with Anakin in Episode 3 and it was Commander Apo or whoever they, they make that uh, in the new canon. Absolutely. I, Rex has got a large storyline left. His story is far from over. We can see that already from the previews of Season 2 Rebels and wouldn't completely shock me, I don't know about you, Dominic, if there would be a novel down the line which concentrates <laughs> on Rex's character. If there's one with Asajj Ventures and Quinlan Voss, I don't see why there can't be one for Rex. Yeah. He's, he's a fan favourite. I mean, you just look at... The reaction it may sound like a silly reference, but this is Madness Tournament. <laughs> Rex is, I believe, quite a popular character amongst many of the fans, not just the Clone, well, predominantly the Clone Wars fans, but I think even mainstream Star Wars fans. If you if you were gonna put yourself and say, what, who are the main characters or the new characters of Star Wars, the Clone Wars that that fans love? It's Ahsoka and Rex. They're oh, yeah. the main two. Oh, for um, sure. Ahsoka's got her storyline in Rebels at the moment. She's going to play a big part. Rex is going to be in there, but I don't know for how long. There's room, is there not, Dominic? For oh, yeah. a, a Rex storyline in a novel format or a comic book? Yeah, I, I would I would love to see uh, Rex and Ahsoka's stories between the events of Clone Wars and Rebels fleshed out a little bit. Although I think that's something they're going to make us wait for. Uh, you know, Dave Filoni has said a couple of times that they're going to kind of tease those stories in uh in season two of rebels uh that they'll kind of reference things here and there that fans will kind of go wait what what was that i don't remember that from clone wars um and so i think there's that possibility 
but I, so there is, well, there is that possibility and I would love to see it. I think we're going to have to wait a little while, um, at least until Rebels is over, um, possibly until there's kind of like a, a big Clone Wars nostalgia push at some point. Um, whether that's, you know, 10, you know, 10th anniversary, 15th anniversary or, or, or what have you of, uh, of the, of the series, perhaps they'll put out some of those stories then, but I, you know, there's definitely room for them, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think we'll get them right away. And, you know, I think there's, there's value in that too, of just kind of leaving some stories a bit blank that we don't necessarily know. We don't need to know them all right away. Um, I would rather wait until they have the the best stories and the best storytellers uh, in place to tell those stories than just kind of rush through to getting the answers immediately. Absolutely. And you talk about writers and you want to get the best here. Well, the writer for the first episode, Katie Lucas, mm-hmm. played a massive role in this particular arc. And oh, yeah. Whenever her name is cited alongside Star Wars material, you know it's going to be good. And so, with that in mind, let's get stuck into these particular episodes now. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we're going to focus on is the main protagonists of this storyline. Fives, and I will say Tut to an extent, because even though he's not alive, well, he's alive for the first two episodes, he then obviously dies at the end of the second episode. (laughs) It's really important to Tut. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry there, guys. But <laughs> if you haven't watched this episode by now, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast, to be honest. Yeah, you really. know what we're all here for. <laughs> um, but you know, obviously, what happens to him plays a massive role and is a spark for a lot of these events. Mm-hmm. So on this Ringo Vinda, the main event which has sparked this all is that Tup has executed Jedi Master Tiplar mm-hmm. or a disposable Jedi, basically. <laughs> disposable Jedi, Jedi number four. Of ever again. Yeah. A bit like those two Jedi that Savage Press killed by that. Well, we saw temple. we saw Tiplar's sister Tip Lee in the Son of Dathomir comic, where I think Ooh. she was killed. <laughs> <laughs> well, disposable so, Jedi number two. <laughs> yeah, she lived a lot longer than most of the disposable Jedi. That's true. At least it wasn't I'm gonna die. At I'm least a gun it wasn't die. like yeah. that. <laughs> I'm going to die. Well, whatever. It, <laughs> point is, his name pretty much gave a clue away. If you if you were given a name like that at birth, you know it's unfortunate. That, that's really foreshadowing um, an ominous event that will soon happen to you. <laughs> and it was right. So anyway, back to the story at hand. So top executor, Jedi Master Tiplar. And uh, what I want to ask you first of all is... What, what did you make of this scene? Because that was the—I remember—that was the first clip that was actually released. Yeah, oh, to way us back, previewing this particular arc. And you see, I must have watched that clip five hundred times between, <laughs> you know, the release, you know, that that initial announcement that the Clone Wars was done, and the release of that clip, and the actual release of the episodes, because there was a good year, or at least at least eleven months in between. Um, and so there was that that kind of feeling of okay, when is this going to come on? We want, and, and so anytime you, you felt the need for some some Clone Wars, uh, you know, some new Clone Wars, you always just go and watch that and sort of see what what can we what can we glean from this. And then when they released the Plo Koon thing as well, uh, 
Yeah. And I'll, I'll have a, I have have a story about the Plo Koon one for when we talk about the Yoda arc. <laughs> um, but we'll, looking for, we'll, we'll look forward that. to that. Look at that teasing the audience yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but what did you make, Dominic, of the way that the Clone Wars team really approached this? Yeah. Because we see that clip, but it's it's a little bit more fleshed out when you see it from from the beginning. At the beginning, they're in that little like command center area that they managed to um, apprehend and and take from the separatists. And once Fives and Tup have been ordered to stick with Jedi Tiplar's team, mm-hmm. you see Tup. He he starts feeling his head. He he doesn't feel right. He's kind of hallucinating a little bit and then you suddenly just see this little switch in his eyes when he stares at Jedi mm. Tipler. So, so just before the scene, you see him stare yeah. um, and then he comes back to his senses. But, I mean, how did, what, uh, yeah, how did you make, or what did you make, I should say, of the way the Clone Wars team actually handled the way that um, the chip malfunctioned? Were you, were you happy with it? And just what did yeah. you make of the scene in general? It's it, it's it's interesting. You know, the way it was done, it was kind of presented almost as if Tup was being possessed. And, you know, we know this is Star Wars, so there is sort of that mythical, magical element to it, you know, the Force. And, and you know, we've just seen all these crazy uh, powers with the Night Sisters, and we see even more crazy powers when uh, uh, when Dooku and Sidious try and uh, take down Yoda in the final arc. So there's you know, we know that there are powers, there are things about the force that we don't fully understand. And, you know, we know the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities, some considered to be unnatural. And so, like, it, it it's played off almost as if you're expecting it to be something like that. And because it is Star Wars, we think, uh, you know, you could think that it is something like that. Um, which makes the whole explanation of this, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about, you know, the, sort of the science aspect of this kind of different. It is sort of a different answer than we're used to. It, you know, they're considering if, if Top has been, you know, they're kind of having that conversation of, you know, what is wrong with Top? And there seems to be some kind of, you know, that's thought to be some kind of separatist, uh, you know, hal- halogen or, or something, and you know, you, you can bet Anakin and, and the Jedi are thinking, you know, maybe Dooku has some found some way to control these guys and, you know, some kind of dark force. And then it turns out to be, you know, the inhibitor chip. And I, and I thought it was, it was pu- pulled off uh, brilliantly. I loved the line, good soldiers follow orders. Uh, I thought that was really, I'm just going to let y'all know ahead of time. That's going to be my, my quote for this arc. Uh, <laughs> go, good soldiers follow orders. Um, because I, I think a couple in a couple of ways, I, I feel it, it it ties back to a conversation in season one uh, between Ahsoka, Commander Gree, and the um, the James Marsters, uh, Captain Argaius. Captain Argaius, yeah. And you know about you know what does it mean to be a, a good soldier? And you know Argaius is saying you know sometimes it means going out and 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 not following orders and doing what you think is right. Whereas Gree is saying you know following orders and Gunray weighs in with some useless advice. <laughs> and, uh, um, so then to see sort of that, to tie back to that in a way of, you know, good soldiers follow orders. And uh, if you're reading the Kanan comic that Marvel is, is currently publishing, Kanan, the last Padawan, you know, which tells the story of Kanan from, uh, from Star Wars Rebels, how 
you know, how he survived Order 66 and everything he went through. And my favorite moment in that series to this point is in the first issue or either the first or the second issue when Order 66 gets called and the clone troopers and Kanan's clone troopers turn on him and they're saying, good soldiers follow orders. It was it was a chilling moment and a, and a great callback to the Clone Wars uh, and to to this arc in particular and to how powerful you know this moment was and and the way they you know it's interesting they show this moment from two angles you know you get the sort of emotional lots of camera angles and you can tell the the you know top is conflicted about what he's thinking and then you know he fully commits to this idea that he has to kill the Jedi and. Then you see Fives is looking at him and, you know, you can really see how they sort of drag out this moment and, and this, you know, really letting you know how Tup is feeling inside his mind and how everybody is feeling on the battlefield. And then they show it again, uh, in Admiral Trench's, uh, you know, hollow holograms. And it, you know, it happens like just like that. You know, you sort of see how quickly it happened and how quickly it changed the course of that battle. But I, I think the way, uh, whether it was whether it was written this way by by Kate Lucas or it was directed this way by by Bosco Wing to just put that whole uh, to put that moment together, it really to me sort of sold the confusion, the conflicted feelings that must have been going through Tup, uh, the so, the shock and awe of Jedi Master Tiplar, um, and and end um, of Fives at what is going on, and I think that moment was done beautifully uh but i'll throw it to you how, how did you feel about it i echo a lot of your your sentiments there dominic actually the way the the clone wars team approached tup's turn really was fantastic and i it's, it's kind of a small moment but even the gesture of him on the battlefield when five says to him all right st- this isn't the time to freeze up when he's kind of He's almost, I mean, he's got his gun there. He's kind of like bashing his head almost. Yeah. It's, all, it's kind of, he knows there's something in there. He's trying to get it out. And that's when, that's another little callback there to really demonstrate to the audience and showcase that there's this artificial object which is stuck inside his mind. Now, if ever you got, say, I don't know, um, you've been stung or, um, you know, you get... I'm trying to think of a, of a good example. Like you get sometimes a piece of wood or something like stuck in hand. I've never had a piece of wood stuck in my hand. Um, to, oh, a I'm trying to think of it really. I don't know. You got you basically just got something stuck in your hand and it's really painful. Mm-hmm. And you're like trying to pull it out, but you can't really because it's just not within your grasp. But you know it's there, um, and you're just trying to get it out. And I feel like the illusion I'm trying to make there is that Tup is desperately in his mind trying to get it out um, <laughs> because it's not, you know, clearly he's not feeling right. And as you said, it's like a possession almost. Yeah. When he just, it's just a sudden turn and a switch and he can't control himself. Um, it's another point to, to showcase that whilst we follow the clones as individuals, as owning unique personalities having different personalities they are still genetically manufactured Mm -hmm. clones and this is an example of the manufacture manufactured side almost where they don't have real freedom of thought or real any or any real liberties because 
They're just slaves to the Republic. They're slaves to the Kaminoans. They've been created and constructed to really succumb and, and do bidding for somebody else, um, whether it's the Jedi or, in, in this case, what we see in this arc, a higher purpose of being the army for the dark side, Darth Sidious. Mm-hmm. And I just love that whole particular scene, as you say, when particularly the way he says, like, Jedi, it's so menacing. Um, when he when he turns and looks and stares, he's so focused and concentrated on what he wants to do. And, I mean, how would you interpret this, Dominic? The way he, that particularly uh, D. Bradley Baker plays that, um, with that menacing undertone, mm-hmm. when he switches, is that following orders, or do you think there's a far more malign undertone to it? Like, you know, it's evil, it's malevolent. I mean, when that chip switches his mind to want to kill the Jedi, do you think that his entire view of the Jedi changes and he sees them the same way he would see a droid or how he would see Count Dooku when he was a loyalist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I, I think it the clones, their base programming is to kill Jedi. I think that is what they are bred to do and that when you boil it down is all they are is Jedi killers. And what the sort of the, the tragedy of the clones and the, you know, the, the genius of, I guess of, of Sidious and Dooku and the Kaminoans that they're able to pull the wool over the eyes of everybody is that they're, they then layer all of that layer on top of all that, all of this, uh, you know, humanity so that they don't expect it. They, they, they think the clones are their loyal soldiers. And in the case of Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and, and Ahsoka and, and some of the other Jedi, they think they're their friends. And so they're, they're just not expecting it. And that inhibitor chip is sort of the one thing that separates all of that humanity from their base single purpose, killing Jedi. You know, we go, go to the, um, the uh, the Geonosis arc from season two, when the clones are possessed by the nose worm, uh, Geonosian things, and the one clone says, you know, if there's one thing we clones know, it's how to get a Jedi, or how to take down a Jedi, or how to catch a Jedi, or whatever he says. But I think in that moment, we sort of see the truth about the clones, but nobody is able to fully understand or appreciate it, because the only person there is Ahsoka, and she's, you know, running for her life, basically. And so I think that whole, I think it, that's what it comes down to. And so I, I, it's it's evil in the sense that, um, you know, you give all you give these guys all this personality, only to take it away from them because as soon as the words "execute order sixty six are spoken, that inhibitor chip shuts off and everything that they were is forgotten, and they become mindless killing machines who turn on their friends and and. You know, a moment, you know, moments before Order 66, Cody gave Obi-Wan his lightsaber back and they shared a moment, a, a moment of levity in, in this brutal battle on Utapau. And then Order 66 and he's shooting down the, the same, same guy. And I, I, so I, I, you know, I don't know if the clones are evil per se. It definitely reveals, I think, the evil of those who created them and programmed them and paid for them in that they were willing to do this to these people. Um, 
I, I think – but at the end of the day, the clones are ultimately no – really not much more than droids as soon as the words Order 66 get spoken. And that you know is the tragedy of the clones and the Clone Wars. Yeah, they they are just pawns, the mm-hmm. same way that they are, as yeah. you said, comparable to droids in that regard. They remind me of sleeper agents almost. That mm-hmm. um, the way that it's set off, the fact that it's a phrase which then triggers um, a mechanism within the clones that. Um, you know, it's kind of like snapping yourself out of hypnosis as well, where you suddenly come back into reality. It's almost like the clones... It Whilst the way we look at Tup, it seems as though he's been entranced uh, because of the fact he's trying to kill the Jedi. In a way, the clones are really just living a life of a, of illusion and, and a facade, really. Yeah. Because, as you said, that's not their primary purpose. Their fundamental priority... Why they've been created by the dark side, uh, by the forces of the dark side, is to kill Jedi. And so that's when when they turn and kill the Jedi, that's not them being entranced. That's mm-hmm. who they really are. Yeah. And that's what's the tragedy of it all, really, when you strip down this entire arc and really the entire concept of, of the clone army. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I'm going to lead this on now to a, a new question, uh, which is going to link on to to Fives in particular. Fives serves as the, the protagonist of this arc, mm-hmm. and we follow his storyline. Um, so I'll, I'll first of all lead on to the question and discussion we were talking about earlier, but I'd, I'd like to get your opinions on, on Fives and his story arc and how that's evolved in a second. Um but I think first of all, let's let's talk about this this chip. Yeah. So the the concept of of this chip, um, it's been it. What Fives uncovers is that it's implanted at the earliest stage of a clone's development. So when they're an embryo, does that surprise you? Did you think that when those clones utter the word Order sixty six that there was a chip involved, and did you believe that it was built into them from the start? Was I was this a shock when you heard that? I, you know, the the specifics of it are, are never something I'd ever really considered about Order sixty six before. You know, I, I I sort of always took it as you know when Order sixty six is given, uh, you know, the clones have no choice but to follow it, and. Whether that, you know, is just the way they are, the way they were programmed, or whether that is something in their biology was never something I really thought about other than, you know, maybe it, you know, it triggers something in them. Uh, but I, I'd never sort of thought about the specifics of this. And, and I think it, it makes a lot of sense that there would be something in there sort of keeping, keeping you from, or keeping the clones from, you know, accessing their Jedi killing, uh, Part, part portion of their brain when they're supposed to be working with the Jedi. So, uh, you know, I, I think the the explanation they gave for Order sixty six makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I like it. I think it works. Uh, but it, it was never something I, I really considered beforehand. Um, and uh, but but not this. But that's not to say I'm not glad we we know or, or we saw it explored on the show. Uh, but how about you? I. 
I think I wasn't entirely shocked about the notion a chip existed mm-hmm. because something within the clones programming would have caused them to ultimately snap from being these loyalists to the Jedi to then ultimately just killing them. You know, that's their primary function. What surprised me more was that at the end of this arc, the Jedi are aware of the existence of this chip. Now, they don't know what the purpose of the chip is, but they know there's a chip there. And, again, it's one of these arcs where you just... Similar to the later episode with sifo how close the Jedi are to unmasking and uncovering this entire conspiracy. Because... You know, Palpatine, we see later in this, we'll come on to his role a little bit later, but he is desperately trying to ensure that this clone, Tub or Fives, don't fall into the hands of the Jedi. Um, Shark T is there, but he presses on the clone to either stay with the Kaminoans or come to the medical facility in the Grand Republic, but not the Jedi Temple. Mm-hmm. Because... If the Jedi find out what this primary function is, then his plans will be, as Sinister has put it, my plans will be ruined. Mm-hmm. As Tim Curry put it. <laughs> so that, I, w- I was surprised. I mean, w- were you surprised about that? I mean, once you knew the chip existed, were you at all surprised that the Jedi learned of this fact? That this chip existed? Yeah. Um, obviously, interpreted as an ag- aggression inhibitor chip. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think this is one of those – this is another one of those moments for the Jedi where while they realize something is wrong uh, and then the fact that this chip exists should raise a lot of eyebrows and it probably does, I think they are so caught up in the war that they almost don't want to know and that they're willing to buy into this explanation that it's it's an aggression inhibitor chip. Because you have to remember, the clones are clones of Jango Fett, a bounty hunter who fought Obi-Wan, fought Mace Windu, fought and, and killed some Jedi in Geonosis. And who knows what he did before Attack of the Clones. Uh, surely he, he faced off with a Jedi once or twice before that. Um, so I think they're willing to buy into that. They, you know, as soon as Fives is left alone with the Chancellor, he turns on him quote unquote as far as the jedi are aware and you know at this point the jedi don't really have any reason to distrust palpatine so i i think that's also uh important to note uh and the other thing is i i wonder if uh, again if, if the jedi just don't want to don't want to believe it <laughs> they 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 wouldn't that they they can't spare the time to look into it because they're caught up in this war. And so once again, they are sacrificing their morals um, or their ideals because uh, purely on a, on a human level, if these guys are having something inserted into their brain that they don't know about and don't want to, you would think the Jedi, this would be something the Jedi would have a problem with. I, I think also the fa- very fact that the Jedi are, are against, uh, or are willing to work with the the clones who are bred for battle and don't know anything else is another sort of sacrificing of their ideals because these people don't really have a choice. Um, and, and you would think that the Jedi would want people 
to, you know, in a free and safe society to be able to choose whether they were uh, to fight or to choose basically whatever they want. So I, I don't know. I, it, 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 to me, it, it, it seems like a, you know, another one of those failings of the Jedi order that we constantly see in this series that ultimately culminates in their downfall. I like that critique, particularly the idea that the Jedi don't want to hear about it because the Jedi, one of their main functions is supposed to be keep us at peace and justice in the Galactic Republic. And they're fighting a mass scale war here of epic proportions. And they're collaborating with the clones. The clones are necessitated to fight in this war. The Jedi need them. And I'm going to use the words here of Darth Sidious in this particular arc. Um, he uses the phrase isolated incident. He asks Kanduku, is this an isolated incident? I mean, that's the Jedi. That's how the Jedi are perceiving it. They're looking at this and saying, this is an isolated incident of something going wrong. It's one clone. Now, of course, this is a clone here that as fans would become really endeared to. So we see him as far more valuable than just a generic clone that we've seen in the Grand Army of the Republic because we have ties to him, emotional ties. Mm -hmm. But we have to look at it from a third person perspective. If, if we were neutral in this, it's just one clone who looks like he's he's gone mad. And yeah. if you believe in the idea of this aggression inhibitor chip, well, he has become overly aggressive and uncontrollable. He's become belligerent. Um, he's become hostile, violent towards the people who he's supposed to be sided with, who he's supposed to be aligned to. Mm -hmm. And that, from that perspective, you can understand why nothing really happens because it's a conspiracy theory. How many times do we talk about this in, in our real world whenever people say statements that may well seem quite folly or mere myths and fantasies, you know, one person making this grand claim and we, we kind of label them as conspiracy theorists and it, we don't really want to have anything to do with it, do we? Mm -hmm. We kind of just we kind of see them in a way as fanatics. Um, I feel that's the same way that people look at clone trooper fives mm. so with that in mind dominic how how would you uh critique and assess fives story throughout this entire story arc i mean when we last saw him we were coming off the umbara arc i believe mm -hmm. i can't remember if we saw him before that'd be at the umbara which of course would have had massive implications for not just him but for the entire 501st yeah. that whole ordeal with general krell turning on them um a jedi turning on them surprisingly yeah and so we see fives here in this arc clearly he's forged close connections with tup he seems to be one of his best friends he's looking out for him um and he's supposed to just be a regular 501st arc trooper mm -hmm. if there is such a thing as a regular arc trooper mm -hmm. and then by the end of it he's obviously seen as being um mad violent and um it seems like he's malfunctioned. Uh, how would you assess his character? Fives in, in yeah. this arc. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's the, you know, he's the classic, uh, the hero that nobody believes. He, he's got the answer. He's figured out the puzzle mostly. 
and nobody is really interested in believing him. Nobody wants to believe him. Nobody really wants to listen to him. And he's faced by, you know, he's the other thing is he's up against people who are actively trying to stop him from spreading this information because it would be very bad for them. So I think, you know, to see him in, in this arc, you know, Fives is one of those characters we've watched from the beginning. We've seen his entire story from Domino Squad through Rookies, uh, through the invasion of Camino to his promotion of Arc Trooper to losing all the other members of, uh, of his, of his squad right down, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to this, to this is the end for him. You know, plus, as you mentioned, the Krell, uh, stuff. So, you know, like Rex, he's, he's been through a lot and we've, we've witnessed that, uh, with him. And I think, you know, just the, to the end of the story, to, 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 for his story to end, I think this is, you know, it's a fitting end. Uh, you know, he is a character because he is that clone that we followed. And I think that, uh, you know, it makes more sense than if it had it had it been Jesse or 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 Kicks or any of these other characters who we've seen in in previous episodes, and and I, I really like the um, the archetype of uh, that they put him in in this episode of the guy that that has figured out the big mystery but nobody believes him, and I, I think it's a you know it's a bit of a shame that he couldn't convince Shock T to listen to him, but you know like with that classic archetype. He comes off as sounding crazy because what he uncovered is crazy. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it's an idea which, sadly for, for Fives, has no real legs to um, in terms of tangible evidence that he can use to justify this. Um, and he's on his own. I mean, from the audience perspective, we follow Fives' story. We know what he's uncovering, and all of it is shocking and startling, and we're all for him. But as I said, from the characters, the other characters' perspective, they're looking at this situation, and they're not, they haven't seen the evidence that Fives has. Okay, he's got this brain tumor, but don't forget that's under the assumption that's, e that's linked onto this ingression inhibitor chip. They're not seeing that as a Jedi killing chip. Um, <laughs> otherwise you would have had a completely different end to this story arc. Yeah. Um, but you finds this story and she, the way you reeled this whole story arc throughout the series, it's so tragic. Yeah, it really is. It is the definition of a, uh, a tragic hero really, because he is a hero at the end of all of this mm -hmm. more so than most. Because he unraveled it and wanted to unravel the mystery, the conspiracy, and wanted to do something about it. He was taking action. Yeah, I think and, it, I think in five stories, what we see is kind of a, a an extreme version of what all the clones go through. Is that hmm. you know you begin with this squad that you train with and you become very close with, and then you have to just witness them all basically be killed off one by one or be killed off. You know, or be one of the ones that are killed off. You basically just have to get used to the idea. And I, I guess, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is how it is in, in, in the military in general. I, 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 I gather <laughs> never, never having been a part myself, um, that, you know, you get to know these people and then you, 
you know, every every day you risk the chance of losing them. And with the clones, when they are, you know, involved in such a massive war, and they are ultimately just cannon fodder, you know, Fives' story is kind of, you know, the the most extreme version of 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 it, but it is sort of typical of the clones. You know, you fight with these people until they die. And then you're the only one that's left, and then you die, essentially. Yeah, that that is completely true. I mean, the clones are just they are they are akin to droids, all but name almost. That um, they're not necessarily minus automatons, but they're manufactured, artificial, and they're serving the function of a higher being mm-hmm. at the end of it all. Some of the clones, of course we see the likes of cut the quay who's taken on an, his own life yeah. uh, away from the war. Yeah. But that's very rare. Mm-hmm. And of course the way that the clone acceleration process works, Sidious has really played a masterful game here because with the clone acceleration process, if, like he eventually does, uh, decides that the project has failed, even if there are some clones that are still out and about that may not have adhered to his order. Um, one, as you'd said, Dominic, in a previous arc, um, unlikely to be recognised. Um, and two, they'll just, like you see in Rebels, they'll become old and yep. offer very little resistance. So... Either way, it's a win-win here for Sidious. Um, he's kind of getting the clones reduced as early as he can, um, making sure he's got an army ready to fight, and then when it comes about and he's got enough troops and everything's in place, boom. It's when you pull the rug from under the feet of the Jedi and that's it. Game, set, and match. That's mm-hmm. exactly what happens here. And so... With Fives' story, it is oh, it's completely sad and, and disheartening to have to watch it all unfold, really. It, I find it hard to watch the second time because you know what's about to happen, even though um, you see the chummy stuff at the beginning. It has that added significance because um, when you look back at it, you can see that when Tup saves Fives right at the beginning of the arc, that's a moment to remind you of how they're close friends and how you think, oh, at the time you're just like, oh, that was that was cool. But that's you know, the last time that Tup saves Fives there. Um, and you can see there why Fives wants to then return the favour and save Tup. It's all of these uh, just moments, really, which so fascinating. Anyway, I'm going to move move on swiftly to another interesting topic. And that is Count Dooku and Darth Sidious. Who, well, particularly Count Dooku, I feel like it's been a while since we talked about Count Dooku because he actually didn't appear at all in season five. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it's good to see him prop up once again. Yeah. Um, and obviously Admiral Trench returns in this particular arc. And it's, it's Admiral Trench who relays to Count Dooku the information of, of Tup killing the Jedi Master. Now, Trench... He clearly suggests that, or at least insinuates that, the clone who killed the Jedi 
Um, it wasn't just he was paid off like Slick was uh, by a Sarge Ventress. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was something more to it. And so what I want to really ask... So anyway, he, Errol Trench, he tells Dooku about the clone and Dooku then obviously convenes with Sidious and, and tells him about the programming. But I just want to get clarification as always on the affair with Darth Tyrannus. Um, cause it's going to nicely entwine with, uh, the Kaminoans as well, because obviously they're in on it as well. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, before I quickly go into Lord Tyrannus, I'll just say, I'll ask your opinion about um, the Kaminoans um, and Lord Tyrannus. But particularly when you saw that trailer um, and Count Dooku's face hologram says to the Kaminoans, Protocol 66 must not be discovered by the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised that the Kaminoans were in on this? Or, or did no. it just seem natural to you that Prime Minister Lama Su would be in cahoots with Lord Tyrannus. I, I think they have to be in on it. I mean, to put something like that into the clones. And, you know, maybe they don't know the specifics of it. But then again, I think they probably do have to know that. And, you know, the thing about the Cameron Owens is if you have enough money, they will do anything for you. You know, Dex says as much in episode episode two. You know, it depends on how big your pocketbook is, and you know that's what the Kaminoans are all about. They're about money, and so I think you know Dooku, I'm sure, is quite wealthy himself, and 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 Sidious probably has a has a good supply of uh, of Sith credits somewhere. Um, <laughs> you know that I'm sure have been passed down from Sith Lord to Sith Lord since Darth from Darth Bane through Darth Plagueis. Uh, now on to Darth Sidious. So I, I imagine that there's, you know, lots of money at their disposal and they go to the Kaminoans and say, this is what we're going to do. Here's the money. Here's a little extra to make sure you never say anything about it. And, uh, you know, understand that not only that, you know, you're getting this money to do this for us, but if you betray us, we will show up and kill every one of you. Whether it's Dooku and Sidious together, just Dooku, Dooku and Grievous. I mean, if Grievous marched into uh, Topoka City there, uh, he could do some serious damage. It, they, it would not be easy for the Kaminoans alone to take him down. Uh, so well, the, the thing, the thing is, though, in it, then I want to ask you because about Grievous and the Topoka City part that's really struck up a, a thought in me. We see in season three the invasion of Kamino uh-huh. as the separatists try to procure Django Fett's DNA. In light of this, what was the purpose of that? Because Count Dooku could have just asked one of the Kaminoans to deliver the DNA sample if he wanted. Why why go to all that trouble? What do you think was the the end game? As you said, they could have caused a lot of damage. Obviously the clones were there to protect them, but I, I that always confused me. So, but I'm side, I'm sidetracking a little bit. But what would you say to that? Uh, I think that the Battle of Camino was all for show. I think it was just a, a play by Sidious, um, you know, telling order obviously through Dooku, through, who then passed it on to Ventress and Grievous, but to just kind of invade to make the to keep the Republic off their scent. You know, they, you would think 
that would be an obvious target for a separatist movement that is trying to eliminate the Republic Army, trying to end the war. It, it would make sense to go to Camino and, and invade. And I think they went in there, uh, Sidious and Dooku at least, expecting to lose. Uh, I mean, they sent Grievous and Ventress, who, while they are effective, they're also not the most effective uh, duo you could send. Well, they aren't Dooku and Sidious. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, they did obviously do some damage and, and create some problems for the Republic. But ultimately, it was more just a matter of just putting on a show, trying to convince the Republic that this really is a war. And, you know, that I feel like that's kind of been an idea that has been floated around, you know, going back to the Clone Wars comics from 2002, you know, after Attack of the Clones came out, the very first arc of the Clone Wars comic was an invasion of Kamino. And I think it was all done uh, both then and more specifically and, and more in relation to, to this and explicitly uh, just for show, just to kind of keep the Republic guessing, you know. Sidious has Grievous and Dooku invade Coruscant at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. He has no intention of, of you know, giving up Coruscant to the Separatists. Uh, he needs to keep that as, as his seat of power. Uh, but he was doing it, one, I'm sure, to continue to inspire fear in the Republic and in the Senate, because we know how fearful the Senate can get. You blow up a power generator, shut off the lights... And they'll uh, vote to, to uh, fund more troops, to fund more clones. Um, so you do that, and then they're willing to give him more emergency powers. And you get that a little bit in in Episode Three. You know, Obi Wan says this: the Senate is the Senate expe- is expected to vote the Chancellor more emergency powers. You know, he's all worried about it. Um, and, and I think you know we see that, and obviously in, in Episode Three, a little bit of you know Sidious's alter- ulterior motives with Anakin. Um, are there. So I think, you know, they, they do things for show just to kind of keep the Republic scared to remind the people in the Republic that, or to keep the people in the Republic thinking that there's a chance they could lose this war. Well, it's quite interesting as well, that that particular set piece, as you said, it's, it's ensuring that the Republic realize they're in a legitimate war here. As you say, that would, of course, be one of the prime war targets if you were fighting in a real war. <laughs> or, yeah, in a real war. Um, but it also works to perhaps strike fear in the Kaminoans. You know, just to remind them that if you were saying earlier about them being paid off and if they do divulge any secrets, that they'll come there and kill them. Mm-hmm. Um I'm, I'm intrigued to know how much the Kaminoans actually know about Sidious and, and Dooku. They know they commissioned them, but in this in the second episode, um, Conspiracy, Lama Su says something akin to after the transmission with Dooku, oh, these Jedi with their sacred ways. Uh, do, do you think that they know Dooku's a Sith. I mean, they, they call him Tyrannus. Mm-hmm. It's quite it's quite interesting because obviously the only other time that name's really been cited is whenever it's in conjunction with Sipho Dias. Mm-hmm. That's the only time. And obviously Jango Fett said, "Oh, well, um, you know, 
Ty- who hired you? Man to, named Tyrannus. Or Obi Wan asked. The name, name one? Yeah, exactly. Tyrannus. Um, which later the Jedi find out who that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think that the Kaminoans know Dooku's a Sith Lord? I, I don't think they know. I don't think they fully care either. Again, I think the Kaminoans are driven purely by profits. They they want to make uh, you know they're they're interested in money. Again, as as Dex said, so I think that this guy Tyrannus and perhaps with his buddy Sifo-Dyas, um, that's still a bit unclear. We'll we'll get to that when we talk about the Yoda arc. I'm sure uh, showed up and and tried to uh, tried to buy this this army, and they included this this uh, this feature that the clones this inhibitor chip and that the clones would be jedi killers and and all of this sort of uh, idea i don't think they they know dooku's a sith i i don't know that the average person fully understands the difference between a jedi and a sith i think to people uh you know to the people of the galaxy there are just jedi and then there are jedi that go bad uh, it, because you know it's one of those things. The Sith have been extinct extinct for a millennia. They are the stuff of myth, the stuff of legend. You know nobody knows about them uh, other than the Jedi and the Jedi because they have to fight them. And you know the Jedi probably don't want the galaxy at large panicking because of the Sith. And the galaxy at large probably doesn't know what the Sith is. And so I I don't think they know. That Dooku's a Sith, they may think he's a rogue Jedi or a Jedi gone bad or or anything like that. Uh, but he, but definitely, I think that portion of his uh, of his identity is kept secret, and I don't think that it would matter one way or another to the Kaminoans as long as he's paying them. Yeah, I could see that. And Lord Tyrannus. He states as well in this transmission that Master sifo was the only Jedi who ever knew this. And I don't want to go into too much in sifo because the fact that his story is genuinely considered in later in this season. But, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we see that's just an alias. Um, I mean, how... I, I won't even go into sifo because I, I'd want to save that for another day, if I'm being honest. But... Um, it, it was just intriguing to see the interaction between the two and um, because I feel as though Dooku justified it I, I don't believe, I don't actually think he believes this but to the Kaminoans as though saying you know, it was created to ensure rogue Jedi were ever to emerge that we'd be able to deal with them etc etc um, so in terms of how privy the Kaminoans are to any of the plans that have been conceived by Dooku and Sidious it's very unlikely. It seems as though that's only um, yeah, that that that's a gift bestowed upon the Sith. They're the only ones who know what the plans are. Obviously, case in point with Darth Maul that he knew that the Clone Wars existed, mm-hmm. um, but no one outside of the Sith realm, almost uh, uh, or, the, or the duo, actually knows what these grand plans really represent and what their purpose and function is. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on now. Um, we talked about the Kaminoans here. And the last thing I want to touch about Kamino before we go into the final episode is we see that Fives is processed and quarantined by the Kaminoans and uh, they also diagnose Tub. 
Now, there's a big debate which resides in this arc, um, namely of what should happen to the clone. Shark T believes that the clone has been brainwashed by the Separatists and wants the clone to be examined at the Jedi Temple. Nala Shay, on the other hand, doesn't believe this and thinks that the clone should be terminated in order to do a full autopsy on it. Of course, we know there are ulterior motives to this because terminating the clone will allow the Kaminoans to actually examine what has gone wrong with the chip. What what does this say about the relationship, though, between a client and a manufacturer? Because there are constant, there's constant disputation and debate over who owns these clones. Obviously, we know that all these ulterior motives by Nala say that's the real reason she doesn't want the Jedi getting a hold of this clone. But technically, if the Republic has commissioned these clones, aren't they the custodians? What did you make of that whole debate between Shark T and Nala say? Because I feel like they were the personification, really, of this debate of the Jedi versus the Kaminoans. I mean, even though they're supposed to be aligning with each other, there's still a bit of friction there, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. I, I think there definitely is that, that friction there. And there is the debate over, you know, who owns what. And you can bet that, you know, Shock T really hated saying she owned fives because, again, that's not really the Jedi way, but she needed to make her point And she was ultimately trying to help fives in that moment. And, and ultimately, I think it, it was the Republic's decision. I think it, it comes down to, you know, what role do the Kaminoans play in all of this? Are they, you know contractors do they have or do they have some sort of medical say in the in the army um or are they just there to you know train the clones and and create the clones you know there are a lot of sort of there's sort of some questionable stuff there of, of who of you know who owns what but ultimately i think you know the the purchase was made in the name of the jedi order it should belong to the Jedi Order. It should ultimately be the Jedi's decision. Now, they probably want to take what the Kaminoans are saying very seriously because they know their product best. Um, but I don't think they're, they're uh, obligated to do what the Kaminoans say. And again, this is a situation that I think Nalase knows is, is very delicate, that she cannot mishandle this because if she does, she will ruin everything. And I think that's part of the reason why she fights fights them so hard on this. Whereas, you know, in the past, you know, in our past visits to Kamino in, in, in season three, you know, ultimately it was up to the Jedi. It was up to Shock T to about whether or not Domino Squad would get another go. It, it was the Jedi decision. But I think because we were dealing with such a sensitive matter for the clones and and the Jedi and the Kaminoans and the Sith and everybody involved, all the major players, that there was a much more pushback on the part of Nalase. Yeah. There's a lot of stake here, isn't there? Of course, the whole gambit and plot would have been uncovered, but in terms of the ramifications for the Kaminoans, funding would have been suspended and their lives would have been at stake. That's You can see why they would fight so hard for it. And I think I quite liked your comparison there. They're the manufacturers. They're the experts on their product here. And the Jedi, in a way, are trying to say, no, 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 we'll examine him ourselves. 
is that element of trust clearly isn't there. Um, and you can understand why the Jedi would want to examine him, though, because oh, for sure. the clones are working alongside the Jedi. They're fighting with the Jedi on the battlefield. If there is something wrong with him, which isn't just a virus, then it needs to be checked. And they can use the Force to, to sense that. Um, and I think that's why Palpatine in particular is desperate to stop the clone from getting into the Jedi's hand because his plan could be unraveled. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's move on to the final episode then, because there's a lot in the final episode that we can, we can definitely get our teeth stuck into. The first bit I want to talk about is that very first scene in the Republic Medical Facility. Now, we will, all, of course, remember this from episode three. Mm-hmm. It's the birth of Darth Vader. And you could tell already, couldn't you, Dominic, from that, the way the scene was lit, the music, the sounds. It was very eerie and chilling, really, wasn't it? Yeah, in for terms sure. Of, in terms of the way it was lit and who's standing there, Palpatine, his guards. It's, did you not get a more, I guess, Empire feel? Or, oh, yeah. You know, Age Absolutely. of Empire compared to Clone Wars. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think the the more this series went on, the more we got that Empire feel. I think we really got it last week uh, in the uh, in the Ahsoka arc, uh, and this week as well in in these arcs. I think we're really beginning to see how the Republic uh, military turned into the you know the Imperial machine, and and this is definitely a part of it. And we know the importance of this location. In Star Wars history, this is where Darth Vader is essentially reborn. And I think, uh, you know, just setting it there, like you said, it, it, it means something bad is going to happen. And indeed it did. Indeed it did. There was a, the massive debate there. Uh, again, uh, Nala Sue and, and Shark T both pleading their, well, Fires predominantly, both pleading their separate cases to Palpatine. Unbeknownst to Fires and Shark T, sadly, the Chancellor was never ever going to side with the Jedi on this matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, I, I I just love that line, and I'm going to spoil my quote here, but I don't really care because it's pertinent to this particular scene. But when Palpatine's there and he says, "You know, the Separatist plot before the war started," that sounds unlikely. And then the Kaminoan says, "That it's impossible." And it's just all there. That's that's great, you know, breaking the fourth wall, so to speak. The dramatic irony there was so obvious, but it worked brilliantly. Yeah. Um, and I did love actually the way it was performed by Tim Curry. It wasn't. It took a bit of time to adjust, I think, from Ian Abercrombie because of his phenomenal performance as Palpatine. But yeah. I I feel that Tim Curry he gave it a very good shot as well. I have to say, oh, did sure. like his Palpatine. Yeah. And particularly in the, it was well suited to the Palpatine post season five anyway because we're getting closer to revenge of the sith mm-hmm. i want to ask you this question though dominic it's always made me very curious this scene but what did palpatine say to fives <laughs> what did he say to him when he yeah when everyone what leaves did he say <laughs> and he goes and says to fives where were we and that real you yeah. see his face oh. goes from the kind benevolent chancellor and the evil Sith Lord Darth Sidious in that yeah. one moment. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, the best answer to this question 
ever given was by Star Wars artist Paul Bateman, who said Palpatine told Fives the Clone Wars is being canceled, and that's what caused him to lose his mind. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, good, a uh, great line from Paul. Uh, but <laughs> I think Sidious just told him everything. He laid it all out on the table, and he, you know, he knew that you know Tups or Tup uh, Fives would try to kill him. As a result, I mean, that's what happens when he reveals he's a Sith Lord to people. I mean, even Anakin pulled his lightsaber on him. So I think he knew that Fives would try and kill him. But he also knew that he would not be killed by some clone. And that this would ultimately be his way to show this guy or, or to turn this guy from, you know, the the clone that's having a bit of trouble into, you know, the villain that Nala say wants him to be perceived as. Yeah. And at the beginning of the episode, we see that fives is drugged. Yes. Do you think that played as a factor to him being more aggressive? I don't know if, well? it, if it or played. Was, was that already? Is it just what Sidious said to him? I think it was what Sidious said to him. I think that the drugged aspect of it was for shock T was to make, uh, fives again seem a little bit more crazy before he started shooting at Palpatine, um, so that you know Shock T would be a little bit more inclined to believe that this guy uh, would pull his gun on the Supreme Chancellor of the Republic. Absolutely, um, I thought that was a great scene, and oh yeah, I love it when those little moments there where we don't really know what was exactly said, but we can imagine it, yeah. and. I imagine you're completely right that he revealed the orchestrated, um, as Spive said, much of this, um, unbeknownst to him, he, he, even though Sidious divulged a lot of it, clearly didn't divulge that, yeah, it was pretty much all him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty much all him. And so the last couple of scenes that we want to be focusing on then is towards the end of this episode. But in terms of the clone bar stuff, there's not too much to critique there. No. That was just quite an interesting moment, I have to say. Though, Although, uh, I, imagining I w- these clones there. I will say I do have a, a signed picture of the taxi driver <laughs> that Fives uh, gives, uh, gets a ride from, who was played by a friend of the show, Stephen Stanton. Oh, yes. Very nice, of course. The taxi driver was quite funny, actually. Yeah. But- yeah, the idea of clones going out, getting drunk, going to nightclubs. Yeah. Sounds like a bit of a life, don't it, really? Yeah. Karen's <laughs> like, I want to join the Grand Army of the Republic now. Yeah, get me signed up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you all cloned uh, cloned up. <laughs> um, so the final main scenes that need to be focused on then are, of course, the, the meet-up between Anakin, Rex, and Fives. Mm-hmm. The big reveal, so to speak, where where Fives divulges and lays it all on the line to Anakin and Rex, and they don't believe him. They don't believe him. Yeah. Can you blame them, though, Dominic? No, no, you can't. Again, you know, it's it's the thing where where Fives really wasn't doing himself any favors by, uh, you know, capturing them in the uh, in the. The ray, ray, shield. ray shields, yeah. You know, he wasn't doing himself any favors. He was making he he appeared crazy to everybody around him. And you know, if there was somebody who would believe this, it would be Anakin, or maybe Obi Wan, um, and, and Rex as well. 
but just because of the things they have been through together and because they are sort of an unorthodox, unorthodox Jedi and an unorthodox clone in a way. And, and so I think you get that, uh, that feeling there, but ultimately it was the fact that fives was just kind of, he, he, he appeared crazy to everybody around him. And because of that, nobody wanted to believe him. Nobody wanted to believe what he was saying. And you know, what he was saying was, you know, Put yourself in universe. What he was saying was crazy. We know as the audience that he's right. But in universe, it must sound uh, bat crap crazy to everybody else. And uh, I think that's ultimately where it, it, it all fell apart for Fives is that he just couldn't convey the truth because the truth was, was too difficult for anybody to really comprehend. And, and and so he winds up with that tragic final scene. And I, I think it's it's really interesting that even though he gets killed, you know, all the troopers, you know, remove their buckets and, and, and there is that sort of moment of of somber uh, the somber moment for their fallen their fallen brother. Uh because they all, you know, recognize that you know, even though he lost his mind as far as they think um, he was still a part of their uh, part of their crew, and again, the tragedy of the clones is that you know he was right, and he was trying to save them, and even though they respect him, respected him, they didn't, they couldn't understand uh, the truth about what they were and what they are meant to do, and so yeah, it's it's an absolutely um, gut wrenching scene. It's 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 a tearjerker of a scene, and. Uh, and all and uh, you know, all things considered, really a, a, one of the best scenes from the series. Not sort of like a woohoo scene, uh, best kind of scene, but more of like a, a really well done. Uh, you know, this arc begins and ends with with two of the two standout moments from the show: the the death of Fives, and of course, Tup uh, accidentally executing Order sixty six, probably about a year or six months early. <laughs> I. You are right, though, about this whole gambit there. Again, the, the scene is so tragic of his, of his ultimate demise. He's desperate at this point, Fives. He's, he's lost everything almost, and he's lost the trust of everyone. Mm-hmm. The only people perhaps are members of the 501st Legion, but, you know, he's on the hunt. Sorry, he's on the run because he's being pursued by Chancellor's forces, by the Jedi. Everyone's on the case now. Um, you know, he's, he's saying that these organic chips were built into the clone's genetic code and they're basically used by someone to do whatever that person wants. And as soon as he starts accusing the Chancellor, that is when, particularly for Anakin, he just doesn't want to hear it. Yeah. Doesn't want it. He doesn't want to believe He doesn't believe it. The Chancellor, he says, no, he says, now you've gone too far. And you, again, you just feel for Fives because Anakin is an unconventional Jedi. It's, uh, Rex is an unconventional commander, um, and he served under them, and they've been loyal to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, however, out of all the Jedi, Anakin is the one who trusts the Chancellor the most. And so as soon as that happens, that's it. All bets are off. Anakin doesn't really want to have anything to do with it, does he? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, a- Anakin... You know, there's lines you don't cross with Anakin, and Padme and the Chancellor seem to be the two. 
uh, that as soon as you start saying you don't trust them, then Anakin has a bit of a problem with you. Uh, and, and so that's kind of, you know, the unfortunate thing here is that, you know, for as much as Anakin is the unorthodox Jedi who would under normal circumstances be willing to believe something that most would not, you know, the chance, the fact that they bring the chancellor, that fives brings the chancellor into this kind of throws Anakin off the scent and into this is just, this is just crazy because Anakin trusts Palpatine implicitly. You almost wonder had Obi-Wan heard that, what his reaction would have been if he might have had a, a different reaction, because we know that Obi-Wan is distrustful of politicians to begin with, and especially distrustful of Palpatine, which we, we know from episode three. Yeah. And if Mace Windu was there, he would have said something akin to a Sith Lord. <laughs> that time he would have got it a year a plot, earlier. I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the dark side of the force clowns the Chancellor. Well done, guys. Well done. Three yeah. years too late. No, probably ten years too late, but well done. Well done. <laughs> okay, I've got two... No, I've already got, I guess... Yeah, two questions. Two questions to finish off. So the penultimate one here. So the second final scene, the penultimate scene, involves Palpatine consulting with Yoda, Mace, Anakin about really the events of the last four episodes kind of wrapping it all up, so to speak. Um, and he states that the personal doctors of his own ilk examined a parasite, which was what caused the clones to become overly aggressive and for the chip to malfunction. And he states that every clone in the Grand Army will be inoculated by it. And he emphasizes every single clone. Mm-hmm. What... Well, first of all, do you believe him that he has inoculated these clones or is it just a way to, you know, knock the Jedi's senses eye, keep keep their scent away from what's really happening? Um, do, you, do you believe that, first of all? And But if you do believe that they have been inoculated, um, what is the fundamental purpose of it? I'll ask you that question. Well, I, I, yeah, I don't believe that he is, is having them inoculate. I don't think he, I think that is, like you said, it's him trying to keep them off his trail. He doesn't want the Jedi anywhere near this because if they start sniffing around as they did in these episodes and they uncover protocol 66, then things are pretty bad for him. Uh, he's going to have a lot more than Mace Windu, Kit Fisto, Agent Kolar and Sacy Tin show up in his office. Uh, you know, he'll probably have the whole council with a couple dozen knights as well because they'll realize pretty quickly that something is not right there. Um, as for, you know, he says every clone has been inoculated. Perhaps the, you know, in saying that is a way to get the, all the clones in for an examination. They give them a shot of placebo and then they just make sure that their inhibitor chip is working properly. That's what I envisioned. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I mean, didn't expect they were actually inoculated with something. But it, for me, I am usually thought to myself, he wants to make sure that their chips won't malfunction. Mm-hmm. He wants yeah. to be absolutely yeah, on that. sure that there won't be another isolated incident. Because you have to bear in mind, this was genuinely two clones. Well, one clone whose chip failed to work properly. 
um, which caused all sorts of calamity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sidious was putting the highest strings to ensure that that these plans wouldn't be unveiled, that they wouldn't be unmasked. And if that was just one clone, imagine if that was, say, a whole squadron, because mm-hmm. then you've got more test subjects and you can see parallels. I mean, in the at the end of the third episode when um, BZ... Is it, no, it's not BZ. No, that's not BZ. Droid AZ-3. AZ-3. Come on now. AZ-3. That AZ-3. well-known <laughs> droid. Um, and... And fives are in the um, in a genetic laboratory, and they quickly discover that you know that all of them, all of the embryos, have got chips in them. Mm-hmm. And you can look at that and say there's evidence there that all of them have, that there's there's a common thread here. There's a common theme to this. Well, if there's a whole squadron, then you've got more tangible evidence. It starts to add up and make a lot more sense. You start putting the jigsaw pieces all together don't you so as you say making sure that this experience that this incident that's taken place does not happen again and that the jedi refocus their attention on the war effort that's what, that's what the chancellor says at the end you know each day we grow closer and closer to victory unbeknownst yeah. to the jedi <laughs> it wouldn't be their victory no Sadly, sadly. Sadly not. But, but, you know, close. So close yet so far, really, for the Jedi. Mm -hmm. It's a shame. But rounding off this entire arc, then, I mean, if you were going to assess this, looking at all the four episodes and how this story has progressed, we see it right at the end. Lord Tyrannus is there with Lord Sidious, and um, he's telling him the good news about... um, exactly did he say uh the cloning question's dead the jedi still suspect nothing and you know when the time comes nothing will be able to stop the plan to execute order 66 so it all ends up hunky-dory but in your mind how close how close was it to all being revealed in your mind yeah i think we we this is one of those things where we came very close to to everything unraveling for palpatine you know, Dave Filoni sometimes talks about, uh, you, you know, when we watch the movies, we think everything goes perfectly for Palpatine. But the more we learn about that, the more we see things could have gone awry, whether that's Darth Maul, whether that's this, uh, you, you know, uh, whether it's Mother Talzin, you know, all of these things that could have um, thrown Palpatine off of his uh, off his throne and ultimately – I think this is definitely one of the closest uh, incidents for him where everything nearly came unraveling uh, or and every, everything neither uh, everything nearly unraveled on him. And I think for him it was definitely a wake up call that he might have to be a little bit more careful in the future. Yeah. I certainly imagine so and it was extremely close to being uncovered and and revealed uh, these are the type of story arcs which I always find fascinating uh, because we know the outcome we know that Palpatine is going to be successful um, but as you said we felt 
that based on the movies, it ran very smoothly, that everything went as planned. But clearly it didn't. And it's in these instances, the likes of Darth Maul, Talzin, later with, of course, the Sifo Dias trail, that there are still holes which need to be sealed, which need to ensure that the Palpatine's um, trail isn't picked up on. Um, all of these loose ends need to be need to be tied up, and this one is clearly one that has been, but only by the skin of the teeth. Um, had anyone of higher ranking on the Jedi Council believed this, and had evidence for it, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? Um, yeah, very intriguing stuff. Yeah. But anyway, we're coming to the end now. So, have you have you got any other topics you want to mention? No, I, I think we should uh, move on to our favorite quotes. Although I think we've both spoiled them uh, in the show leading up to this point. But so I'll, I'll throw it to you uh, for your favorite quote from the Order sixty six arc. I will indeed, and the first one I've got is in the first episode of this arc, unknown. And uh, it's when Anakin, Fives, and Rex, they're all uh, in their spacesuits, and they see in front of them this massive-sized droid army. And uh, Anakin's considering taking them all on. And here's the quote. This is stretching it, even for you, sir, says Rex. Rex, you're beginning to sound like Obi-Wan. That's what Anakin says. I quite like that little slight dig there at Obi-Wan saying like, oh, yes, the negotiator. No, I'm the action guy. Let's do this. (laughs) I'll throw it over to you, Dominic. Yeah, well, for me, like I said, good soldiers follow orders is uh, my favorite quote from this entire arc. I think there's something so chilling about it, the way it calls back to season one, uh, but puts things in a completely different perspective. And I I love, like I said, I love the way it came back in the Canaan series, and I hope it, it continues to be revisited in any future Order 66 stories that they tell us. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely uh, consider that to be the uh, really one of my favorite moments in, in this arc. Absolutely. And the final quote that I've got here is from the final episode, and it involves Stephen Stanton's taxi driver <laughs> when they're at the clone bar and... Um, Fives has refused to pay his fee and all the clones start jeering at him and he says, yeah, mother is a droid as well. You know, yeah. A little <laughs> slight dig there, the clones. Mother they all then lob droid. their bottles at the taxi. Yeah, and I was like, my word, that reminds me of a standard Friday night in London, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> your, oy, your mother is a droid! Uh. <laughs> oh dear brings oh, back night no it doesn't bring back anything <laughs> that's i think that's what uh we'll be hearing all over the place next summer at star wars celebration europe <laughs> yeah well, outside our own the, clone bar we'll be yeah, going to yeah outside the excel center is going to be very interesting <laughs> <laughs> can't wait yeah. cannot wait but um, that, i imagine wraps up this arc yeah so. In true spirit, Dominic, I will ask you the question first. What is your final thoughts of this episode and score out of 10? Yeah, for me, this was uh, definitely a highlight from the, the series. I thought, like I said, I thought it was cool to get into some of the more uh, sciencey aspects of Star Wars. 
um, you know, the, the, my favorite aspects of Star Wars is, are usually sort of the more mythological um, elements to the story. You know, the Force, the uh, you know, the Jedi, the Sith, that sort of the ancient struggle, that sort of thing. But it, I also think it is fun every now and again to you know knuckle down and, and understand some of the science of it. Uh, yes, I do like the Dechlorians, even though they aren't mentioned at all in, in this arc. Um, and not that they really had any purpose to be. Um, got sidetracked by mini chlorians again. Um, but uh, yeah, really so, uh, some great stuff. It was uh, a tragic arc for fives and a tragic end for a character, like I said, we followed from season one. And I think that was, uh, was you know, fitting a fitting way for him to go out. Um, albeit a sad one. And also it was interesting to see uh, the way that Top fell apart, to see the way everybody... You know, struggled to uh, to deal with this reality, and like I said, I love the archetype of, of the guy, of the character who who knows the truth but cannot convince anybody of it because the truth is is well, it's stranger than fiction. It, it could never, you know, as far as anybody thinking rationally, could never possibly happen. But as we know from episode three, it happens. So uh, yeah, for me, definitely a a highlight uh, of the series. Uh, I, I did really enjoy the character of AZ3. Uh, I thought he was a, a fun character. Um, and Ben Diskin did a great job voicing him. And of course, D. Baker, just a phenomenal job, as always, doing the voices of the clones. Another clone heavy arc where he had, he really had to carry a lot of it himself. And I think, uh, you know, being the emotional core, uh, or Fives being the emotional core, we really got to see his range and his ability to make that clone voice, uh, uh, just work on so many levels and, and so uh, I'll give this arc a you know what I'll give it a 10 out of 10 I, I really did uh, enjoy it but uh, over to you for your final thoughts and score out of 10 hey, this arc was fantastic one of the all time greats and I remember Dave Filoni's comments before the episodes of the Lost Missions actually aired and he said that he was some of the best of all time and how right he was. Um, an arc which focused and centered on the clone troopers was always going to be a good one. We'd seen it with Umbara, we'd seen it with the Domino Squad. They'd all been excellent episodes, and this one certainly, these episodes certainly lived up to that. Um, Order 66 has always been surrounding in mystery. It's something that we've always wanted to understand, but I never really had the opportunity to really focus in on it in depth this arc gave us the opportunity and it did it so well as we were able to follow Fives who was the protagonist um, and also see the perspectives of of the Sith and and the orchestrators of everything that's been going on here the Count Dooku, Darth Sidious, Lama Su and what is so great with arcs like these is that we know the outcome of the story, we know what happens with Order 66 but we don't know what happens before it and it really did reveal a nice bit of information there that really you get to stick your teeth into you know Sidious unraveling his entire plan to fives uh, the Kaminoans in on it in on most of it and um, the idea that Sidious's plan could well have unraveled as a result of the events of this arc it just adds layers to already a compelling 
myth mythological story. I mean, this was focused on the science aspect, but I mean, in terms of the entire mythology of Star Wars, it still sits in as one of the all-time greats. So I can only give it a 10 out of 10, like yourself as well. Um, and in terms of, again, the animation quality, visually, um, it's, it's on par with anything that is also on television at this point. Um, oh, certainly sure. worthy of Netflix coverage, I should say. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that will wrap things up for us this week here on the Clone Wars Strikes Back. Kieran, thank you so much for hosting with me and for for picking up the ball and, and picking up the slack uh, for me this week when I I couldn't couldn't get in uh, couldn't get as a as invested as I always as I usually like to with with these episodes and. Uh, really carrying the show this week. I, I really do appreciate it. No, not not at all, Dominic. I, I always enjoy doing the questions as well, and um, I feel like a nice, compelling discussion was had. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So if you want to get in touch with us between shows, you can send us an email, clonewarsstrikesback at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on this arc or any of the arcs we have coming up. Remember, we are at the end. We've got three more arcs from the Lost Missions. We've got two story reels, a comic book, and a novel from the Legacy content. And then that is it. We are really approaching the end here, guys. Uh, we want to thank everybody for your continued support as we uh, as we race towards the finish line. Uh, so again, Clone Wars Strikes Back at gmail.com if you want to share your thoughts. You can follow the show on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back. You can follow me personally at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran at CDuggan6. Uh, you'll also, uh, also you can, uh, like the face, like the Facebook page. If you want to keep a little bit of Clone Wars in your newsfeed, that is the page to like. Just search for the Clone Wars Strikes Back and that way you will never miss an episode another way to never miss an episode is to subscribe in itunes you want to subscribe to the star wars underworld podcast feed uh just search for the star wars underworld on itunes and you can subscribe there that's where you'll get this show and my other show the star wars underworld podcast uh two you get two shows for the price of one in that feed and that price is absolutely free and speaking of the star wars underworld podcast you'll definitely uh definitely want to check that out uh, we record live uh, usually on Thursdays, although this week we're changing it up a little bit and, and recording on Wednesday, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on channel 1138.com and then released usually on Friday, but this week we're changing it up again and putting it out on Thursday. Uh, so you can uh, listen to that. We'll be breaking down all the latest breaking Star Wars news. Like today, they just dropped a new uh, Korean <laughs> teaser trailer for The Force Awakens that features one new shot. And you can bet we will have in-depth coverage and discussion of that one shot, uh, as well as everything else that that means. Uh, if you're going to be at the D23 Expo this weekend in Anaheim, I will be there as well. So if you want to, if you see me, come up and say hello. We'll talk some Clone Wars. Also going to be there repping the Clone Wars. Kevin Kiner, who did the music on the series, will be there. He'll be doing a signing of uh, Clone Wars vinyl, uh, which I actually have, and it's really cool. Uh, great collectible. Uh, and also Ashley Eckstein, uh, Ahsoka Tano will be there. So you definitely want to, uh, don't want to miss those guys at the expo. And that's going on this weekend, uh, August 14th through 16th at the Anaheim Convention Center. That's the, uh, the former home of Star Wars Celebration. Oh, it'll be a trip down memory lane, I'm sure, as soon as we get there. Uh, and in between shows, be sure 
to keep hitting up StarWarsUnderworld.com for all the latest breaking Star Wars news like that Korean TV spot, as well as stuff about uh, uh, Rogue One, Battlefront, Rebels, any new Clone Wars stuff, books, comics, and so much more. That's StarWarsUnderworld.com. Also, if you like what we do here talking Clone Wars and you, and you wish we would do that for another show like, say, Game of Thrones, you can check out our other podcast, The Watchers of Westeros. Just search for that on iTunes, Facebook, and for Twitter. That is it for us for this week. We will be back next week uh, a little bit later than usual. Um, we hope to have an episode out next week, basically, but with uh, D23, it kind of messes with our schedule. And uh, it was a pretty last-minute decision on my part to go to D23, so it, it is a bit of a... It might be a bit rough, but we do intend to release an episode discussing a, discussing the Clovis arc before uh, uh, before too long. So you don't, definitely do not want to miss that. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, website, those are the places to find out. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back soon talking the Clovis arc, and may the Force be with you. <laughs>